0: Alright, hope you all like the new theme music, at least for the next 31 days. Welcome to The Basement, the October scary, spooky, horror version of The Basement. Like I said on the show earlier this week on the most recent episode that aired on Monday, and I think I maybe mentioned it a couple of times prior in the past couple weeks, I'm devoting the month of October to all things spooky, all things scary. Even Might even throw in a little shout out to pumpkin spice lattes out there, you know, you know who you are. Um, yeah, it. I, you know, this show's pretty film-centric, and I wanted to devote this month to talking to some filmmakers out there who are, you know, making horror movies, and, you know, just talk to some other people out there kind of in the horror genre, working and doing projects, they're writing books. Uh, I don't want to give too much away what's coming in coming out this month, but Definitely going to be a fun 31 days. Like I said, I'm going to be dropping multiple episodes during the week. Every Monday, you, you know, you'll get an interview episode where I'm talking to somebody who's doing something cool in the genre. Uh, maybe midweek. Every, uh, don't hold me to it. I'm going to try to do two, three episodes a week. But maybe midweek, I might drop a little bonus interview thing. But every Friday, and today is Friday, I'm going to just give these quick little episodes. I guess it's a slight spinoff of what me and Chris Caranta do with what you watch, and well, I'm going to be watching a lot of horror movies, so I thought I'd just let you know what I'm watching and where you can find it if you want to watch it, too. I thought I'd keep it simple, just stick to three movies or TV shows, miniseries, whatever I might find my hands on, and um, well, here it goes. First up on the list, I'd like to start with some indie horror, super indie horror. This is a this is a film directed by a upcoming guest of the show. I'll give it away right now. Rick Chandler, who's a filmmaker out of Boston, a guy who I've known about for 10 years or so. We swapped Facebook likes and whatnot over the years. And I just finally reached out to him and said, Hey, man, you're doing a lot of great work. Do you want to come on the show? I'd love to talk to you. So I had seen Rick's past works, a few of them, not all of them. And I'll leave a link to where you can you know, maybe purchase some of his... Films either in physical copy or where they're streaming. He made a feature that came out a little while ago called Parts Unknown. You'll hear us talk about it on the episode, and I I don't mean to do this kind of backward, but just because it was fresh in my mind, I thought I would give it a watch. When you hear the episode, uh, you'll notice that I had mentioned I hadn't seen it yet. So I guess this is kind of playing with the space-time continuum thing a little bit, but what are you going to do? So let me start by saying Parts Unknown, the film by Rick Chandler I'm talking about right now, is quite a treat for anybody who is into the grindhouse feel of the 70s, 80s, and it's that's just something that's right up my alley. I know it's not for everybody, and even in the interview, I think Rick admitted, uh, yeah, it's not for everybody, good luck watching it, enjoy the ride, <laughs> but he, he's definitely a guy with a vision. He's definitely a great filmmaker. And he definitely has his own brand, which I can respect. And I, of course, wanted to watch something that's Grindhouse. It's a lot of different things. But here's the general plot. The film focuses on a family of professional wrestlers or people that are in the business. But they're kind of on the low-end side of the business. They're not in the WWE. They're wrestling in what looks like VFW halls and somebody's warehouse but a lot of the wrestling scenes are actually like well planned out matches it looks like you're right in there watching it like a fan would i mean you're getting you know inside takes of what's going on in the ring between the two performers which are things that can advance the plot forward but you're actually sitting there as a viewer watching a wrestling match from start to finish you know there's other big budget films out there that, you know, about boxing or professional wrestling or any sort of sporting event out there that kind of, you know, trims things down a little bit. And I actually thought that was kind of cool. That was a cool effect. You're you're following these two performers through their match. And but that with all that being said, <laughs> it gets really gory. <laughs> like I said it is a Kind of a grindhousey film, and those get kind of dirty and make you need to shower after it's done. And I'm not knocking the film at all. I'm sure Rick is finding this very complimentary if he's listening to it, or at least I hope. And But what we kind of learn from the opening scene from the father figure is he's really fed up with how the fans treat him. You know, there's—the opening scene is a wrestling match that he's in, and he's looking out to the spectators, and he's seeing people just, you know— with their thumbs on their phone, not really paying attention to what he's doing. And he does something pretty drastic in the ring. And that kind of pushes the plot forward. The main character, uh, his name's Herman, played by William DeKauf. I hope, hopefully, I'm not butchering anybody's name there. I know he's in the New England film community. I've never met him personally. Uh, but he's great in it as just a psycho, loose cannon professional wrestler who just starts doing these horrible crazy out there almost borderline I guess you could even say correct me if I'm wrong satanic kind of things and you know him and his family just kind of start killing people and it, it gets like I said it gets pretty gory so if this isn't your kind of thing maybe it's not your kind of thing but I I don't know I enjoyed it I'm not just saying that because I had Rick as a guest I've seen like I said some of his past works and I've enjoyed it and this just really hit for me I, I love the I love the look of the film. I love the colors in it. I like how it's a nice blend of kind of being a a trashy feel to it, but it has all these beautiful colors throughout throughout the shots. So I'm not going to give away. I'm not doing like full-on reviews here. I'm just kind of saying the stuff I saw. And I'll wrap it up by saying if you want to check out Parts Unknown, uh, I'll leave a link in the bio if you want to go directly and maybe buy a physical copy. Or you can also stream it for free on Tubi. It is available on Tubi right now. That's where I caught it. Um, like I said, it's it's a cool little indie horror flick. Uh, nice little cameo appearance, even though he's not there physically, by Jake the Snake Roberts. He has a voiceover in it. And yeah, it, it gets a little out there. And I mean, I guess I was just right in the mood for something a little out there. And I don't know. It was fun. Next up now, I went back in time. I traveled back to some classics that I've actually never seen but always wanted to. And there was a remake of this back in 1999. I always heard the original was just a million times more scary. Uh, Nothing. No offense to House on Haunted Hill in 1999. That was a fun horror flick that I saw when I was a teenager. But the original one is just a fucking masterpiece. So the original release on this is 1959, and for anybody who saw the one that came out 40 years later, uh, it's pretty much the same plot. You know, a millionaire offers a bunch of people a bunch of money if they can survive a night in a haunted house with him and his wife, and a lot of really, you know, spooky, scary stuff happens. I want to say in the remake, all the people that were offered to stay in the house get, like, a lot of money, like $100,000 each. And in the 1959 version, this one I watched, I think the millionaire offers people ten, five five people, excuse me, five people, $10,000 each. So of course, you know, inflation between the 40 year differences, but $10,000 each to be locked in a large spooky rented house overnight with him and his wife. And obviously these people that take their, take the money, they don't get the money till after the sun comes up, but they have to survive the night. And some crazy, spooky stuff happens. It's your typical kind of haunted house story with some interesting things, again, that happen at the end that, I don't know, I I think were just felt a little ahead of their time for a 1950s horror flick. This is directed and produced by the legendary William Castle. He's a legend in cinema from that era with films like Lady from Shanghai, Homicidal. 1968, he was a producer on the iconic Rosemary's Baby But this film, of course, also stars Vincent Price. And anyone who's watched classic scary movies knows Vincent Price. He's a titan of the genre, and this is probably one of his standout films in his career. House on Haunted Hill, the original that I'm talking about, is streaming on Shudder right now. It's a quick watch, 75 minutes. It's over before you know it. But there are just some great practical scares that may or may not still work today, but The thing is, is the fact that this came out, good God, 60-ish, 70 years ago, and these scares still work where it's just a simple, you know, camera tricks, and honestly, sometimes it looks like mannequins on rollers jumping out and scaring you, yet it it just still works. I'm not going to give away what the scares are, even though I kind of told you what to maybe expect there, but I'm not going to go too far into detail again. But this film is streaming on Shudder, so if you have Shudder, and if you like horror movies and you don't have Shudder, what the hell are you waiting for? Shudder is like the Netflix of horror films and uh, thriller films, sci-fi, and cult movies. Get Shudder if you don't have it, for Christ's sakes. If you love those kind of things, just bite the bullet and get Shudder. I wish I could give you a promo code for something. I know other podcasts do that. I'm not affiliated with them. But, hey... Just go get Shudder. It's an awesome streaming service. And check out House on Haunted Hill as well as a lot of their a lot of their original and exclusive catalog. So finally, I got something contemporary for my final pick of the week. And since the weekend's coming up right after you hear this, or maybe you'll hear this a couple days into your weekend, I don't know. But last week, Midnight Mass dropped on Netflix. Midnight Mass is the new limited series brought to you by Mike Flanagan, the guy who brought you Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor, which came out last year. He also directed uh, Dr. Sleep, the Stephen King adaptation that was released a couple years ago, and he also did another great King adaptation that I love, is Gerald's Game, which a lot of people thought was an unfilmable uh, book adaptation. Mike Flanagan is just firing on all cylinders, and I think it just culminates... Actually, I hope it doesn't culminate. I hope he exceeds even more because he's just great. But in Midnight Mass, and I want to just remind you as I say this I don't know how the limited series ends. Some of you probably do. I've been taking my time with it. My wife and I have been watching it since it premiered. We're almost done with it. So as I'm recording this, I don't know how it ends. I'm about, I'm right near the end. So probably by the time this episode drops, I will have finished it and. I don't know. Maybe I'll put up a tweet. But back to Mike Flanagan—he is just firing on all cylinders. He is just pulling all these amazing tools out of his director box to give you like a really solid limited series here. Just to kind of give you the quick plot synopsis: It's a isolated island, and the uh, the townsfolk start noticing a lot of really kind of crazy religious miracle events. But there's also a lot of strange things going on still. And it all happens after the arrival of this young priest who's filling in for this other priest who has gone back to the mainland because he wasn't well. And I don't really want to tell you more than that besides go watch it. Because what I've I've just been experiencing has been a lot of different things with this show. I mean Mike Flanagan first of all does a great job. And I think this is why he does so well with Stephen King is he takes these you know out there horror premises and plot lines and he just really grounds them in reality, which I think Stephen King does really well in his writing. You'll hear me talk about Stephen King a lot this month maybe because I'm, you know, I'm a fanatic of his a recent fanatic of his. I've kind of started diving into his books. But Mike Flanagan gives you hour-long episodes, and I want to say for 45 minutes, you're just kind of hanging with these characters, and you're getting to know why they are, the way they are. Uh, There's a... With one of the lead characters, there's a really tragic backstory to him. He is returning to the island after doing time in prison uh, for drunk driving and getting into an accident and killing someone, and that's not giving anything away. You learn that in the first 30 seconds of the show. And you know, from there, there's a lot of religious talk in the show. And there's a lot of commentary on fanatical religion, I think, so far in the show, what I'm seeing. And, you know, how we as human beings need to interpret, you know, things that are bigger than us that happen to us after we die. And there's just a lot going on under the surface as well. And I think that's just what Mike Flanagan does really well in pretty much these past three miniseries that he's done. You get to know these characters before you really get the horror. Because great horror is also great drama, if you ask me. And I always like a good scary tale when you give a shit about the characters. You know, people being set up to die is fun every now and then. I mean, I'm guilty of liking and even making some films like that. But I think having sympathetic characters and people you care about makes the horror and the scare tactics of something like this a little more hard to deal with and makes you jump a little more. I just finished one of the episodes, and I'm not going to say which one, that I think really hit me deeply, emotionally. I felt very moved by some things and some some scenes and a lot of the topics being discussed throughout the episode. It hit me really hard and made me think about a lot of different things. And I totally forgot I was watching a scary show and I didn't really see anything scary till maybe the last 10 minutes and I had a fucking huge jump scare. Forgot completely I was watching a scary movie. And that's not saying that the show is a slow burn. Sometimes when people tell you it's a slow burn, you kind of go, really, I don't really want to struggle through a few episodes till something happens. It's not a slow burn. You are enamored with every character and... So therefore, once things start to really escalate, the drama just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So, with that being said, I have not finished Midnight Mass. I will probably by the time this airs. And if you have, congratulations! <laughs> it's uh, it's a great show. Um, don't spoil it for me, but um, it's I I love it. I I highly recommend everybody check it out. And it's it's fairly new. It just dropped last week. So. That is it for Tyler's spooky top 3 if that's what we're even calling it right now. Uh, I'll have another one air next Friday and with three more films or most likely predominantly they'll be films. I got a busy schedule with with dropping episodes, but I hope you guys reach out and enjoy them. That's Parts Unknown on Tubi, House on Haunted Hill the 1959 version on Shudder and Midnight Mass on Netflix. Check those out. And as for next week, I got some uh, some pretty interesting interviews dropping for you, all within the horror genre. So you guys take care, and I'll talk to you all next week.